Uh, we're going to be reading from John 6, starting at verse 25. That's John 6, starting at verse 25. John 6, starting at verse 25. It's a slightly longer reading today, but uh, I think it's worth it. It says this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. They asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give us to know that you may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as it was written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have sinned me, and still you do not believe. All the Father gives will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given to me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. As this the Jews began to grumble about him, and because, and said, because he said, I am the bread from, that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It was written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone no who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He who is in the Father. I tell you the truth, He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I am the living bread. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds 
on me you will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Let's pray. Lord, it is with humble hearts that we approach what even Scripture itself acknowledges is a hard teaching. We pray that we have hearts open to accept what it is you have for us this morning. It's our desire to be excited about who you are and the kind of people you want us to be. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to grab my water. Uh, we are in week five of our series on the different I am statements of Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. And the first two weeks, I looked at Jesus uh, being the good shepherd and then Jesus being the gate. And then a couple of weeks ago, Danielle and I looked at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And last week, Steve preached about Jesus being the light of the world. And uh, right then, Steve acknowledged that he was initially quite excited about preaching about Jesus being the light of the world and then realized actually that it wasn't as easy to preach on as he thought it was. Because it turns out there's just an awful lot to say about Jesus being the light of the world. And I felt incredibly smug about this because <laughs> I allowed Steve very generously to have I am the light of the world and then felt good about myself so I'm glad I don't have to try and narrow that down into one sermon. Uh, so this week I'm going to be preaching about the bread of life and it's apparent that my smugness came a little early. There is an awful lot to say about Jesus being the light of the world. Uh, some of you may be slightly newer to the church, uh, but you don't have to be here for very long to know I love food and I love talking about food. I like going out to eat, I like cooking even though I'm not very good at it. Uh, most of the photos on me on social media are either me eating or food I'm about to eat. Uh, and the monthly meals that we have at Wellspring, I think, are the best thing that we do. Uh, and as much as I love food, I think Jesus loves it even more. And there really doesn't seem to be anyone that Jesus won't eat with. So trying to get this theme of Jesus being the bread of life down to one sermon was not particularly easy. But let's let's recap to like how we got to the passage we hear today because I think it's helpful. At the beginning of John six, John. 6, I think, is the longest uh, chapter in the New Testament. I need to double-check that, but I'm pretty sure. It's a long chapter. And at the beginning, we hear about Jesus talking on the mountainside. Uh, the disciples immediately ask, hey, should we buy food for the people here? Because they know yeah, that Jesus is about food, much like I am. And instead, Jesus takes these five small loaves and two small fish and provides enough food for the multitudes. And this impresses people so much, they call him a prophet. And we then hear that they intend to make Jesus a king by force. This is interesting. And I thought, wait, are they going to force Jesus to become king? That's not what it means. What it means is that they are going to take the capital by force and then they're going to make Jesus their king. 
this isn't the kind of kingdom that Jesus is into. That's not the kind of king that Jesus is. So Jesus withdraws. He then walks on water. That's a sermon for another day, but just throwing it in there because this is quite a big chapter. And then he goes to the other side of the lake, and that's where the people meet him. Still fairly impressed with that whole miraculous feeding thing we heard about. And then comes our reading from today. They say how Moses also miraculously gave them bread from heaven. Jesus says, no, that wasn't Moses, that was my father. And then he says, I am the bread of life. It becomes a big interplay, and the crowd aren't particularly happy with what Jesus has to say. Uh, Jesus tells them to stop grumbling a couple of times, which is great. And he says, here is the bread of life that you can eat and not die. And yeah, that final line, which might, might, might be my new favorite verse of scripture, it's just like, this is a hard teaching. Here is the bread of life that you can eat and not die. And yeah, that final line, which might, might, might be my new favorite verse of scripture, it's just like, so originally this was just going to be another sermon on the importance of meals and the importance of food and the importance of sharing time together uh, and that's a great sermon and I'd love to preach it but I feel like I preach it a lot I feel like y'all have heard me preach that enough recently and what in fact what grabbed me in our reading this week which as I say is quite a lot and is a hard teaching what really like grabbed me was the crowd's reaction to Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. We'll get back to that in just a moment. And I'll say that today we're going to be looking at the idea that taking scripture seriously does not always mean that we should take scripture literally. Taking the words of Jesus seriously is not the same as taking the words of Jesus literally. Now, this, it's good for some people, other people are going to have a rough time with it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but again, remember, that's okay, because it's a hard teaching. It's good for some people, other people are going to have a rough time with it. We'll see how it goes. So Jesus says this, and this is the bit where it kind of begins to blow people's minds a little bit. So, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I think this is intriguing, because the people's response to this is, always give us this bread. Because, like, think about it, of course they were. This bread sounds amazing. If there was bread that meant we literally never got hungry or thirsty again, who wouldn't want that? Imagine all the problems that it would solve. Like we've just fixed world hunger overnight with this. There'd be way less fighting for resources. People could actually do things that they enjoy with their time instead of worrying about what they're going to eat. So of course they say, give us this bread. For resources. People could actually and it really echoes for me a conversation that Jesus has a couple of chapters earlier with the Samaritan woman at the well, for those of us that are familiar with that. Uh, for those of us that aren't, Jesus says um, in this kind of conversation with her, if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again. And the woman who, and remember, this woman is great. She's really switched on. She seems to understand Jesus better than most people. People do in the New Testament. But her response is, well, give me this water. <laughs> like, can you give me 
see this water so I won't get thirsty and won't have to keep coming here to draw Again, this makes sense. Like, walking to a well is hard and water is heavy and it's hot. So can I have this living water so I don't have to keep on coming back here? Likewise, making bread is hard. If there is bread that means we never have to make bread again, bread that we never have to be hungry again, then can we have it? But what's happening here is that the audience, the listeners, are taking Jesus' words literally, and in doing so, they're missing the point. They're missing an invitation. In only listening to Jesus' words, they are missing Jesus' message. And in doing so, they're missing the point. Because both of these conversations with the disciples and with the crowd on the hill and with the Samaritan woman and with us too are so much richer when we don't just take them at face value. This isn't just about physical needs, as important as they are to Jesus, but it's about a relationship that makes things different forever. That's what Jesus is inviting them to. That's what Jesus invites us to. This isn't just a fulfillment of physical needs, but it's an invitation to a life that's marked by sacrifice and beauty and companionship and togetherness. This isn't just a fulfillment of physical needs, but it's an What's kind of interesting, and I have too much time for this. What's interesting for me is whilst the disciples say, this is a hard teaching, the woman at the well doesn't get distracted by the difficulty of the teaching, and she isn't disappointed that she doesn't get magic water. Instead, she's just delighted to know Jesus and be known by Jesus, and she can't wait to tell everyone about Jesus and about this conversation. This woman goes on to be the first evangelist to the Gentiles for Jesus. That's how excited she is by this interaction. By taking his words at more than face value, she has a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and just how wide his arms stretch, just how much love he has for her. She has a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and just how wide his arms stretch. And even in our passage, even in our reading in John 6, it's quite clear that if we take these words at more than face value, they're so much richer, there's so much going on. In saying that he's the bread that came down from heaven, Jesus is reminding him that he knows their story. We looked at the story of Moses at the end of last year. Uh, we looked at the Israelites in the desert, and at the end of that teaching, we looked at this passage that he's kind of referring to here, the time when the Israelites were in the desert and starving, and God provides them with miraculous food and miraculous meat. A miraculous the way to survive. The people remember back to that day they escaped an oppressive ruler, and when they are on the brink of death, God intervened and showed them that they were still loved. Saying that he is bread from heaven shows that God knows their needs, shows that they haven't been abandoned, and he knows that too. Jesus tells them that he is this living bread that come down from heaven. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And again, 
People take him literally here. I think this is really fascinating. He says this and people say, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And remember, this is John 6. This is before communion. This is before the Last Supper. This is before the Eucharist. This is before we understand the bread and the wine thing. And remember, this is John 6. It's all before that. And so taking Jesus's words literally here is just cannibalism. Like that's that's what it is, right? But we know that that invitation to eat the body of Jesus is an invitation into something so much more. It's just cannibalism. It's a time for us to share together. A time for us to reflect on who Jesus is. It's a time to remember the redeeming work that Jesus has done, and we're going to get to do this together later. It's a time to remember everything that Jesus has done. To remember the way that He suffered at the heart hands of the people that He loved, and also a chance to remember that death has been defeated because of who he is. But when we take those words too literally, we can get distracted. And they take Jesus' words too literally, and instead of really asking those questions, what could you mean, they just say, well, that doesn't make sense. By taking those statements at face value, they miss the opportunity for a deeper relationship and an opportunity to experience the love of God. And I think that we can sometimes make that same mistake. When we stop seeing Scripture as an invitation to relationship, when we stop seeing Scripture as a dance that we partake in, when we stop saying it as a relationship we're invited into, and instead just make Scripture a list of rights and wrongs, or a list of chronological events. And to be clear, there are lots of rules in the Bible, and there are lots of historical and chronological events in the Bible. But it's so much more than that. It's prophecy, and it's poetry, and it's parable, and it's prayer. And if we make the same mistake that the people in John 6 do, and stick to that very literal reading, we'll limit our understanding of who Jesus is and what God's love looks like. I know for some people this may be an encouragement. I know that some people are kind of on different stages of this journey of how we interact with Scripture and the way that it affects us and the way that we learn from it. And so for some people this may be a relief, it may be an encouragement, it may be uh, helpful to know that this is a journey that other people are on in different stages. And I know for other people it can be harder. I know that lots of us have been taught to read the Bible in different ways, and, and again, the thing I love about Wellspring is that we make space for people with different understandings of these things. I think that unity is much more important than uniformity. I think that grace for people that think differently is much more important than just doing what I say, as much as my love would be easier if you did. My encouragement to everyone, really, is that we don't get so focused on the words of the Bible that we ignore the message of the Bible. And I think the message of the Bible, this incredible script that bends towards justice and reveals love in a way that nothing else does, the message that we are loved and we are known by a God who is desperate for us to love and know them back. But to echo what the disciples say, this is a hard teaching. <laughs> It's, um, it's come up for me a couple of times this week, actually, um, the way that a more literal reading or less flexible reading of Scripture is kind of 
maybe created barriers to a relationship with God, maybe barriers for ourselves, maybe barriers for others. And, and it, it grieves me whenever that happens. When our thoughts or our words or our actions are such a way that it can block people's relationship with God or, or knowing that God loves them, that's difficult for me. And, and it's hard and it's sad. I was, um, if, if, yeah, if a literal plain text reading has hindered the opportunity for a deeper relationship with God or, or damaged it, I think that's a problem. I was, I was sent a link to a sermon. I don't know why people do this, but they sent me a link to the sermon, uh, and the preacher was talking about how important it is to believe in God. And spoiler alert, I'm on board with that. That's why I do what I do. But the first thing that this preacher said, uh, that if you want to believe in God, like before, like before everything, and I would say something like, and if, if people like put this to me, I'm like, I don't know, I'd probably start with Jesus, Jesus' life, scripture's important. The first thing this person said that you had to do if you believed in God was to not believe in evolution. And to be clear, like, I don't care if you believe in evolution or not. Like, it really, it just doesn't matter to me. But it's so curious to me that that would be a barrier for this person. That it's one or the other. It's, in his mind, these two are completely incompatible. And, and again, his reason for this is, like, the Bible clearly states, and again, when people say it clearly states something, be, be careful when that comes up. But the Bible clearly states that the world was created in six days and humanity was created on that last day. And so, so there's nothing more to say. It's, it's clear. It's transparent. And again, I'm not going to go into it because this isn't the point of the sermon. But I'm not even sure what literally means sometimes. I'm not sure what a plain text reading means sometimes. Because again, is it, is it literal to say the Bible we have in the pews? It could be. Or is it literal to my favorite translation of the Bible? Is it literal to the first translation we read of the Bible? Is it literal to the Hebrew script, so the original language that the Bible was written in? Because, again, actually, the Hebrew word for day there is quite ambiguous. It could mean day, it could mean period of time. The, the point is, it doesn't really matter, I don't think. I think the more important question was why Genesis 1 was written. Was Genesis 1 written just so we could know how many days it took God to create the earth? I don't think so. It feels kind of reductive. It's not particularly exciting. There's no dance there. I think the question is something richer. I think it tells us about God's love for humanity. I think it tells us about God's love for creation. It tells us about God's desire to be in the midst of us and creation and every part of it. And that, to me, is far more exciting, far more beautiful, far more dynamic. It invites into a relationship rather than puts up a barrier. Again, like, I can't state this enough. It, it really doesn't matter to me. Like, if I'm wrong about this and the world was created in six days, that's great. I don't mind. I just don't want that to be a thing that comes between. If you're saying you must have this to have a relationship with God, I think that's problematic. If we let a limited understanding of a text be a barrier to a relationship, that is a problem. There's too much focus on the words and too little focus on the God who knows us and loves us. There's too little focus on the message. 
this week uh, another like I've been thinking about this this week I don't know maybe we need to have a conversation about this afterwards it's been an interesting week in the hockey world I don't follow hockey mainly because I literally cannot follow the puck it's just exhausting to me they score a goal and like a minute later I'm like all right I guess it went in I don't know like really just following people's reactions ice hockey also ice hockey's just mad there's a reason why people aren't into this it's just an insane game terrifying um, <laughs> but I'm a bad Canadian I guess Anyway, um, some Canadian hockey players or hockey players made the news this week uh, because they were having what was called inclusion night. Um, and there were some players who were unwilling to wear jerseys in support of the 2SLGBTQ plus community. And they said it was because of their Christian's belief. This is what one of them said. Uh, I'm choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. Which is interesting. The Bible doesn't actually say anything about hockey jerseys, I checked. Um, but it's interesting to me, because the jersey in question actually has a shark on it, because uh, it was the, the, the San Jose Sharks, with love written over the top, which is fairly in line with what the Bible has to say about things. Uh, and then um, the inclusion flag taped to the sticks. Uh, and this is a flag that shows support for many groups who have been historically marginalized. That includes the queer and trans community, but it also includes people of color, includes First Nations communities. And I just, I can't help but think that kind of feels like the kind of jersey that Jesus would wear. Like that seems like the kind of thing he'd be into. A jersey that says love and then includes people that have been historically marginalized. It just seems to be the Jesus I see reflected in Scripture. A Jesus who loves people again and again and again. The people that are difficult to love, he loves them better than any of us. The people that have been historically marginalized because of their race, because of the people they sleep with, because of their religiosity, those are the people that he welcomes. The people that look down on society, those are the people he eats with. So it just seems like so strange to me. The problem is that there's sometimes that we have to feel we need to pick on whether we follow the message of the Bible or the words of the Bible. The message of Jesus is love, <laughs> which is, I think is for every single human ever. Now, I think we pick and choose all the time. And, and this is like, I know this is like a difficult thing to hear. We all pick and choose which verses we make literal and which ones we take figuratively. We just do. And... I don't know, am I getting in trouble for saying these things? Maybe. But like, this is just true, okay? Jesus says that we have to give up all our possessions to follow him. That's just in the Bible. And we don't. No one I know has done that. Jesus also says, kind of more extreme, if your eye causes you to sin, rip it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. We don't do that. And I'm glad we don't. If y'all turn up mutilated next week, I'm going to feel bad about myself. The point is that sometimes those words are designed to be taken figuratively because sarcasm exists and rhetoric exists and not everything we say is literal all the time and Jesus isn't different either. We all interpret those different scriptures figuratively. I, I just want you to know that's okay. I want to give you permission for that because, and I, I'm, I swear I'm nearly done, my final point is like, I hope this helps us to live in that tension a little bit better. 
it helps us to approach those scriptures, those verses that perhaps do feel unloving or are confusing. And we get to say, okay, well, instead of running from it because I'm scared of it or because or blindly following it without asking more questions, we get to say, well, how does this align with the heart of God? What else was happening? What's the context? Is this a poem? Is this history? Is this prophecy? Why has it been written? It means that when we come across those verses that are difficult, we don't have to give up, but instead it's an invitation to dig deeper. It's an invitation to dance with the text. It's an invitation to spend time in prayer. It's an invitation, even remember like what we're hearing today. If you eat this food, you won't go hungry. I'm gonna spoil this for you. There is a very good chance after communion today, I'm gonna eat lunch. Because I know I will be hungry, because Jesus is talking about something deeper and richer there. And I think learning about those things deeper and richer is so much better done in a community. Done in a space where we trust one another, where we might not always agree, but that's okay. We get to disagree and love one another through that. And, and you know, if this is kind of striking a chord with you right now, I'll remind you that we have small groups starting up. And if you want a trusted group of people uh, that love you and love Jesus and love scripture. And again, I want to state this enough. Like, I love the Bible so much. It's because I love the Bible so much that I think we have to take it this seriously. Not just take it at its word, but taking it more than its word. It's really great to have a group of people to do that with. So the Bible is so much more than just rules and history. It is a love letter to all of us. And we all receive and we all interpret love in different ways. That's okay. Let's just aim to have grace for those that disagree and grace for ourselves when we're struggling to make sense of it all. God's greatest desire when we open the Bible is to be known by us and for us to know that we are loved for just how much God loved the world. And my friends, if that takes you a little time, that is okay because this is a hard teaching. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we approach everything in our lives, our relationships with one another, with our church, with you, and our relationship with scripture with great humility and love. A desire to know more about you, a desire to know more of your heart. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you love us, all the ways that we understand that you love us, and all the ways that we're still learning that you love us. But we know that you love us. We praise you and we thank you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.